0: things, and churches, uh, stuff around the the gathering, and how do we conduct ourselves when we've gathered in the church? Can we speak in tongues? Can you not? And can you heal in a church? Can you not? What what should we expect, and and who can do what, and how does that all play out? So lots and lots and lots of issues. I'm really excited about this book, but before we kind of get into those issues and some of the details, we want to just start by sort of getting familiar with the book itself. And so today, I think one of the the main points, kind of the main point for today that I think uh, Paul would want us to have established before we get into some of the details of of the issues that he's going to address, and, I, and we call it that because literally you'll see that he's going to go, and, and now about this issue, and he'll talk about that, and then now about this, and so he's literally kind of working through a list of issues to the church, but I think before we get into those, I think Paul would, would uh, want us to have an understanding of... Of the church and the context and what's going on there, and really particularly, we'll actually get a little bit of info on the, the church at Corinth as we go throughout the series, but particularly today, I think what we want to establish is the worth of the local church, why it matters, how much does it matter, and what difference does that make for us? So the worth of the local church. So to get started on that, I want just to ask you to think about when was the first time that you heard about church? And a weird question? When do you, when you remember hearing about or, or like processing the idea that, that churches exist? Now, there's probably a few of you that have like a cool story about that. Maybe you were raised somewhere else or, or you were just, you know, like you, you literally found out as you were, you know, later in life or, or whatever. And I'd love to hear that story. But I bet for the majority of us, it's just sort of something we were always familiar with, right? That even if we didn't go to church growing up, the, the chances are that we, we kind of knew they existed, right? Like the idea of church wasn't foreign to most of us here in this culture and, where, you know, if you grew up around here. And, and, and it's interesting to sort of reflect back on that. I remember uh, in the process of understanding not just that, okay, there are churches and some people go to them and some people go to different churches, but but just the, the, the idea of it. I remember my oldest coming home from school, a couple of years ago, and, and being like, Daddy, I was talking to my friend, and, and guess what? They believe in Jesus, too. And I was like, well, that's great, baby. And she was like, but they don't even go to our church. And I was like, yeah, there's other churches. But it's just like, it's, it's interesting to think that that's not, a, it's not, a, um, it's not always common. We assume that. Right, but at some point there's a processing of of that that, that we went through, and so you know going through that and, and as a kid and realizing okay there are churches and some people go to this church, some people go to that church, and there's there's a the diversity of them, and and you can kind of pick which one you like best or which one you know fill in the blank, right? There's a lot around that, and and listen. Um, I I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I am grateful to God that there are a lot of churches in our area, that there are a diversity of churches in our area, because I believe it takes many churches and many types of churches to reach the many types and different people that are around here, and that's what we want. And as we'll see in just a bit, we should not view those other churches as competitors, right? Rather, as partners, and we should rejoice at their flourishing and and those sorts of things. But I, I think one of the dangers of growing up like that with this sort of context that we do is that we can kind of have this this posture toward the church where we view it as kind of a similar discussion as we view, like, where are we going to do our grocery shopping, right? Like, there's things that matter. Like, we're going to pick, you know, we're going to pick those things on purpose. Like, there's people that are like, you know, die hard to Kroger, right? And that's what they're going to do. They're going to shop at Kroger. They love Kroger. Other people want to go to only Walmart because they can get everything there. Uh, I don't wish that upon myself ever, but that's, if that's you, that's cool. Like some people want to do that. Other people are really into Aldi, right? Like they get really excited. Oh, you got an Aldi quarter with you all the time, and oh, you're an Aldi person. You have your own Aldi bags. What's your system? How do you get the groceries out of the car? You know what I mean? There's, and they get excited about talking about that because they value, you know, what Aldi brings. And and those those are different things that they value. Different things that they bring. Other people want to do Sam's, right? And the, the values they, And so. We approach things for a reason and there 's conviction there 's nothing wrong with that and and you know we can have sort of pa so a lot of us view church in a similar way don 't we like okay what 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 place has the best you know things and and, and fits my value the most okay that 's where i 'm going to attend and 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 sometimes when we have that view, we can sort of take things for granted, and we sort of have this this wrong posture of coming into things that that can sort of lead to uh, some entitlement and consumerism, which is a lot of what Paul is going to address actually later in the book. But, but for today, I think w- he wants us to just remember and reflect upon the value of the local church. What is this thing that we're a part of? What is this deal, right? And so uh, I believe our scripture speaks to that. So I want to go back to uh, what Caleb just read for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read the, introduct- the introduction to this book. This is a letter Uh, written by Paul to a church, a church that exists in Corinth. So uh, that's sort of the context. You can read about the origin, and we'll reflect on this in a bit, but you can read about the origin of the church, the starting of the church at Corinth in Acts chapter 18. You can actually see where where that outlines Paul and some other folks, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, planting this church. And and it's a cool story. And so we'll we'll reference that a bit, but that's where that, that full story can be found. But if you would look at look with me, First Corinthians chapter one, I think the first thing that we're going to see, the first way in which the value of the local church is displayed, is by Paul and Sosthenes, particularly, and others suffering for her. So let's just get into it. Verse one says, "Paul called by the will of God." This is him introducing himself, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our brother Sosthenes. So that's just who's writing the letter. But and, and this is sort of Paul establishing his authority. He's going to address a whole lot of issues for these people here in a bit. So he's, he's taking a moment to establish his authority, remind them why he has the the um, the right, the authority, the God, uh, the calling on his life to to speak into these things, to to say the things that he's about to say to these people. And I think for us, it provides an opportunity to be reminded of who Paul is. So he says himself that he's called to be an apostle. And so if you don't know Paul's story, it's a crazy one that can be found in Acts 7 through 9 and beyond. But, but, But Paul was not always named Paul. In fact, he was Saul, and he was a guy who used to persecute the church and, and kill people who were following Jesus. But, but God did something in his life, an incredible story in Acts chapter 9, where he, he, he stopped him in his tracks, literally knocked him off of his uh, horse with a, with a blinding light and, and called him into service. Prove, he showed up and spoke to him and, and proved that Jesus was indeed who he said he was and then called him, commissioned him to go and be a servant, an apostle, an apostle. Unto the Lord. So an apostle itself is sort of this uh, special designation or special representative of God that, that existed in the, the early church, in particular, capital A apostle at least, existed in the early church, uh, and it consisted of the 11 disciples, because we lost Judas, right? If you know that story, and if you don't, we'll tell you later, but we lost Judas. So the 11 disciples plus Paul. So Paul gets looped into this deal later, and, and sort of what makes them the specific authority that they are, Uh, And and these guys, they had the authority to uh, to speak and to write in such a way that it it held the same authority as the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, and so and actually, they wrote much, if not all, of our New Testament scriptures are influenced or written by them. So, so these are sort of the people that that God picked to be uh, a particular representative and authority, different from disciples. So disciple is, is, is sort of all people who believe in Jesus Christ and follow him. An apostle is, is this person who set aside, they had the authority to establish churches, to, to write scripture, and, and they are the ones that had that authority over the, the starting of the early church that's accounted in Acts and beyond and, and much of history. And so Paul is looped into that, not because he was one of the disciples that hung out with Jesus early on, right? But rather, like I said, because and what part of what made those disciples become apostles and were authoritative and recognized as such is that they had to have seen, spent time with the resurrected Jesus. That's sort of what separated them. And though Paul wasn't around, you know, prior to Jesus's resurrection, wasn't a follower of him, he did indeed see the re- resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus whenever he got converted. Christ showed up in a vision, showed up and, and spoke to him. So that qualified Paul as an apostle. So but but here's the deal. Here's, here, Paul had a particular message or particular uh, job or or focus among the apostles. So the apostles are the ones that, that sort of helped start the church, and, and the church expanded beyond Jerusalem and out into the world. But Paul became the one who was the primary messenger, primary church planter, primary missionary to what is called the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are simply everybody else that's not Jewish. Okay, so the Jewish people were the people of God. and And, and listen... We talked about it in Kingdom come like God had been doing this work and, and speaking to these people, making a covenant with these people and and working toward the restoration of the earth through the jewish people and and Jesus was the culmination of all of those covenants, and so many Jews believed and became followers of christ and that 's the fulfillment of all the faith that they 've been you know uh, looking forward to for all of these years, but many didn 't and so um, many of the uh, Apostles spent time planning churches and, and, and teaching Jewish people that, okay, the Messiah has come, and he's changed everything. There is a new covenant, uh, and many of them believed and were converted. But, but Paul was sent specifically to talk to everybody who wasn't Jewish and to tell them, hey, you heard about the Jews and what their God has been doing. Well, what their God did was brought himself in the form of Jesus Christ to give his life so that all could be reconciled to God, not just the Jews. And so there's salvation for you as well. And so Paul became the one who... Uh, you know, propagated that message uh, well beyond uh, just the area of Judaism. And we should be grateful for that. Because guess what? Most of us, not Jews, right? All right. So we're grateful that Paul would, took the commission of God seriously to expand the kingdom beyond the Jewish people and to, uh, you know, to share that gospel message because that's how it got to us. It, it started here. So he became that guy. And listen, so he gives his life. He walks away from a from a pretty uh, comfortable, uh, prestigious career as a religious scholar, and he becomes this rough church planting beast. I'm going to get a map here that's going to show just actually just the second missionary journey. You've, you've heard Paul's going to take a lot of journeys. He's going to go. He's going to he's going to be really crucial and critical in expanding the kingdom well beyond. So you know, Jerusalem is where sort of things happen and center way down here in the, in the right. But he, he took it all throughout um, the known world at the time in Europe and, and Asia. And so he takes these journeys. And these are not easy journeys. He's not just booking a flight, right? And going, hey, I want to hit up Athens. I want to hit up Philippi. So I'll just, I'll fly here. No, no. no. He's like on boats. He's walking. He's right. Like this is hard journeying that he's doing. And, um, and he's doing it all for the sake of of the local church. Now, again, it's not just the local church. He's doing it all for Jesus. But, 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 the point that I want you to see is that the local church is pivotal, in fact, crucial to what Jesus is doing in the world. And so, Paul is, is given of his life, and I want you to hear just a little bit about what this cost him. He's going to write about it in um, his next book, Second uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 11, he's going to write about some of what he went through as he was planting these churches, as he was, like, being this missionary, I want, you to, I want you to just hear some of this, okay? And I want you to hear it in a sense that it validates the, the, the local church and what she is worth and what, what she means to the mission of Jesus. When I say she, that's it's a way of referring to the local church. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And so when I say she or her, that, that's what we're referring to. But I want you to hear what Paul has went through here. He doesn't just speak as a guy who's just like, you know, did a TED Talk and got a whole lot of popularity, so now people are letting him write books and looking to him as an authority. No, no, this guy has, has lived this in a way that most of us can't even comprehend, right? Most of us will never fathom the suffering and, and um, the work that Paul put in. But here's just a snapshot. Just a snapshot of, of years of ministry. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It, people are talking about you know, other people and, and get into all the context of that, but he, he says... Um, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman for far greater labors, far more imprisonments. This is his own life. With countless blessings, beatings, and often near death. So he says, I've been in prison way more than anybody else. I've worked harder than anybody else. And I've been beaten more times than I can even count. And often, I was almost dead. There's at least a couple times whenever people thought he was dead. Like they walked away from him, thought the job was done. He stirs back up later and keeps at it. Three times I was beaten, or five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. So it's 39 lashes on on his back. Three times I was beaten with rods. He said, once I was stoned. That's not the, you know, hallucinate, that's not the drug deal, right? That's literally pelted with rocks intended to kill you, right? So once he was he was stoned. I want you. I, I don't even have categories for that. I can imagine being tied up and, and having to stand there while they pelt me with, like, stones. Not just little pebbles, but, like, stones intended to kill. It's painful. Three times I was shipwrecked, right? So all these, all these trips didn't go well. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, right? They make movies about people that survive things that Paul did, right? He spent a night and a day drifting at sea, holding on to some wreckage and floating on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure. He says, and that's just all the physical stuff, right? He's locked up. He's got no food. He's like, spent many nights sleepless without, you know, on cold concrete floors without any shelter, without any warmth, without any food. He said, that's just all the physical stuff. Then I have the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Those of you that that have people you care about in your life, particularly children or family members, you you feel a sense of responsibility for them, right? And they sort of weigh on you, right? This guy had planted multiple churches, and each one became his baby, right? His family, his, his people that he cared for. And he says, "And I got all that emotional and mental stress on me while I'm going through all this physical stuff. But you can think, well... I mean that's just who Paul was, right? God makes some people to just be freaks of nature, and they just they're called to these sorts of things, and maybe you can sort of you know minimize what what Paul did, but but it's not just Paul because another brother mentioned here named Sosthenes, and and this guy you could find in Acts eighteen seventeen was one of the early converts. He was one, he was actually a ruler of the synagogue. You read the story in Acts. 18 of how like Paul leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth, uh, to Corinth and he just starts sharing the gospel and he, and he starts, he always started in a Jewish synagogue and he would just share. And, and oftentimes it would only last a certain amount of time because people would start converting and the Jewish uh, leaders would, would get angry and would kick him out. And that happened. And he, he literally went to the house next door and set up a house church. But that's a story I, I don't have time to tell, but it's fun. And, and, but But Sosthenes was actually a leader of the synagogue at some point during Paul's year and a half there, or it was a former one, and he got converted, and he becomes a co laborer with Paul, where he's he bringing more. He used to be a Jewish leader, and now he's saying, no, no, no the, the, the Jewish faith is fulfilled in Christ, and so he's, he's inviting more people, he's sharing the, the gospel, he's spreading the faith to the point that it causes a stir, and the religious people do indeed uh, bring Paul and. and Sosthenes, before council, and they, they try to get them prosecuted by the Roman government, the, that dude says, I don't care about this. This is y'all's dispute. He didn't do anything violent. You're just talking about laws and who's worshiping what? That's not my thing. Go on and deal with it yourself. That's my paraphrase, obviously. But what we do see in Acts 18, 17 is that though they didn't pro- like prosecute and arrest them the way that people were hoping, they took Sosthenes and beat him right in front of everybody. And so this is a man, when Paul says, this is who's talking to us. This is not people who just want to, you know, have a a platform and just want to talk. And you people seem like, you know, good people to listen. No, no, these are people who have given their life and blood and suffered greatly for the sake of this church. So they speak from that posture. Sosthenes was given, was beaten, and he didn't just walk away. Like many of us, that happens and we're just like, okay, I gave it a try, but that's not for me, right? No, 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 he keeps at it to the, to the point that he's, he's gone on with Paul. When Paul writes this letter, he's gone on to other cities, to other places to plant more churches. Sosthenes is with him. He's gone on to be a church planting partner with Paul. And so that's who's talking. And that just gives you some context, but that should also just give you a sense of the worth of the local church, that they've given such a life and such suffering for the sake of the establishment of the church. The second thing that, that and honestly, before we go, we, we have to just not lift up Paul and Sosthenes. They're, they're, they're following the example of the Savior. In Ephesians 5, 25, when Paul is 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 telling husbands how they should love their wife. He gives this example. He says, we should love our wives in this way, that that Christ, the same way that Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself for her. He gave himself fully and totally. Christ didn't just come and when it was convenient, you know, perform some miracles and, and lead a group of people. No, he gave all of himself to the point of suffering a death, a brutal death on the cross. And that's the example that, Paul and Sosthenes are are inspired to, to follow and commanded to follow, and that's what they're doing. So so that's the that's what seeds the bed of the church here is, is the blood and, and the sacrifice of men like this, starting with Jesus and calling others to it. So that in itself should should establish a worth of of, of sense of, of what we're a part of here. And I know that can seem sort of disconnected, but it's going to be traced all throughout. And in fact, that's the next point. And the next thing that, that sort of um, speaks to the worth of the local church is the role in which she plays in the global mission of God. The, the second thing that, that, that we want to see that speaks to the worth of the local church is the, the crucial role as she plays in the global mission of God. Go on to verse 2. He says, To the church of God that is in Corinth. So, so the church of God, he's not talking about the denomination, right? He's not talking about the, the church of God, people, right? Because that didn't exist. That, that, that whole deal didn't uh, exist yet in this world. He's, he's, he's literally talking about who, who does the church belong to, right? The church that belongs to God. That's what he's talking about in, in this moment. It's not the denomination. Paul is reminding them who owns the church. Who does the church belong to? It's not the older people's church. It's not the young family's church. It's not the majority culture there in Corinth's church. It's not a minority culture uh, church. It's not even the Corinthians church. It's the church of God. He alone possesses it. He alone gave his life for it, and he alone has authority over it. It's the church of God that just happens to reside in Corinth. Just happens to exist in the city of Corinth. And this is important for us to remember. Because if, if we forget this, then we slip into all sorts of kind of issues of entitlement and consumerism. And, and that's going to be a lot of the focus of Paul's next few chapters. So we'll get to that in later verses. But for today, the, the point is that we need to be reminded of the global perspective of what God is doing and the role that his local church plays in it. This is God's church here. Okay? We like this is this is God's church that just happens to be called the journey. That just happens to exist on the west side of Marion in a pole barn in a field. This is this is not my church. This is not the elders church. It's not This is not a young church, this is not a a church that makes a lot of babies, this is not a church that drinks, this is not this church, this is not that, this is God's church. It just so happens to be called The Journey, but this is God's church. He alone has authority over it. He alone gave his life for it, and he alone possesses it. And when we remember that, our perspective shifts as we remember, oh yeah, God is doing something in the world, like uh, like grand scheme, and the local church is the means in which he is accomplishing that. Do we remember that? Do you come in with that perspective? I know I, I need to be reminded of that personally, that I forget that it's not just about what we're doing here. It's not just about us. Like this busts up the individualistic like posture that many of us have come to know about the church and even about the Bible, right? When we come in, we say, okay, what, what, what did it speak to me, right? Or is it the type of, of music or message that, that I like? And right here it's it's helpful to realize that this letter is written to a church. It's written to us, it's written to a group of people. Why? Because there's a greater cause going on here. We're part of a greater mission. He says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those you those that make up that church sanctified in Christ Jesus that's that's this language of being set apart, right? We've talked about that. That can be, uh, that, that's a, can be a, a verb like, that is, is describing the process of which we've become more and more like Jesus over time. But, but it's really talking about to be set apart, to be um, set apart from the rest of the world, right? And really, what he's doing here, what, what he's saying is God has done what he promised he would do back in Exodus 19 and 20 when he made a covenant with his people in Moses, when he says, I will make you a people, right? A kingdom of priests set apart from the rest of the world. He's done that. He's he's set them apart. And, And that's the context in which we find ourselves in the local church. Called, sanctified in Christ, set apart. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, listen, I'm writing to this church. And it's to a particular body, it's a particular identity made up of particular people, and you have some particular issues that we're going to get to. But before we get to you need to have perspective that you are a part of God's global mission, that when you gather, it's not just about you. It's not just about us. When you, like, when we do life here at The Journey, what you do, how you show up, what you, you get, like, It matters well beyond you. So whether or not you come to community group, it's not just about you. You understand that? Like if you choose not to show up, it's it's not just you robbing yourself of what you need to do, right? Like when you choose not to show up, it's you robbing everybody else that's in community with you of the growth that God wanted to do in their life through you. Do you understand that? Like there's this this communal perspective and an essential view of the of things that we have to understand that it's not just uh, it's not just about us like it it, it that's this us on this micro scale, right, in our communities. But then on a macro scale, it's not just about us. When we gather here on a Sunday morning, what we can be thinking about is, is what's going on here, right? Like, and how was the service? And was the room hot or was the room cold? And did they do our music? Did the, the preacher make me laugh? Did I like what they were? Like, all of those things can be going through our mind. and We can sort of have this narrow view. But we, we need to, we do well. We need to be reminded that it's not just us. The, the world is not revolving around our little Corner of the world, that right now, as we gather, there are people all over the globe. Some are having to hide their gatherings, some are in jail because they chose to go to their gathering. I'll give you a little bit more personal perspective. Right now, we're going to hear a little bit from her tonight, but right now, one of our own, Diamond, many of you know her, she's in Berlin. Why? Because God called her there. She's there. She's studying the language. She's working with teenagers. Why? To help build up the church of God. To to spread the good news of the gospel. Right now, my phone is being updated with with messages from from Matt and Bethany. Their cards are out on the the on-mission table out there if you want to know a little bit more about them. But they're laboring in Central Asia, in a Muslim country, and right now they're not sure if the government's going to tell them that they have to leave or not. If, if our government's going to have to tell them that they have to leave or not because of the volatility that's going on in, in near them. And they're laboring to share the, the gospel message with Muslims, calling them to believe, calling them to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And listen, and that is one huge hurdle, right, to get them to hear the gospel message, to just listen to it. And then when they believe in it, that's a huge victory. And it's this incredible thing that is so rare, but it, it's so beautiful. But then it doesn't end there because their hope is not just to get a bunch of believers, their hope is to start a church. But you know what? It's possibly even harder to get those Muslims who do come to faith in Jesus to begin meeting together in a church. Why? Because it's not legal and because they'll be persecuted. And not just like made fun of on social media. Like beaten, maybe killed, maybe tied up, left in a, in a room alone. Those are the sorts of things that are, that are going on around the world. That's the sort of church that we're connected with, that we're called to be saints with all around the world. That's the sort of thing that we should feel and know that is happening. And, and we're part of that. When you give this morning, I talked about giving through worship. God takes what you give, and he he supports people like that. He supports missions like that. We're a part of that. When we pray, we're engaging in that mission with them. We're sustaining. God is using those prayers to sustain them. He's using those prayers to to bring fruit for them. Like, we are a part. Our local church is not just about us. God is doing an amazing work throughout the globe. He said, on this confession of Jesus Christ, it's Jesus that unites us, by the way. We'll talk more about that. I'm not skipping that. We're just going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But when he says to Peter and, and the other disciples, he says, when they realize, oh, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the one, he says, yes, and it is that truth, it is that thing that I'm going to build my church on. And I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And later he says, where's my church going to go? Is it just going to be right here in Jerusalem? No, no, no. It's going to go beyond. Right? Beyond Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what's happening. That's what people like Diamond and, and Matt and Bethany, that's what they're laboring toward. And, they're, and those are just a couple examples that we're connected with that we help support here at the church. But, but there's hundreds and thousands of people that have, that have given their life to that. We're part, like, that's what God is doing. That's, what, that's the role of the local church. It's not just to get some good teaching, feel good about it, and, and move on. It's, it's, it's not just a, a group of people that, that we all chose to sort of shop in the same religious store, right? We're bonded by so much more than that. A mission that has a cost. A mission that has an eternal cost, an eternal calling. Verses 3 through 9. The the last thing we're going to see is the value of the local church is displayed by God's commitment to sustain her. Okay, so Paul's established who he is and who they are and and why he's writing. But then he's going to say, grace and peace to you from from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I give thanks to my God always. For you, Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, and even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Okay, so what I, what I mean by God's commitment to sustain her is that you're going to see as we move throughout this book is that this is a jacked-up church, right? In fact, years ago when the journey did it, I mean, like 13, 14 years ago when the journey, St. Louis did a series on this. I think they called it uh, following, uh, following God in a Jacked-Up Church or, or something along those lines. Like, this is a messed-up people. And so Paul is sort of starting... With acknowledging his gratefulness to them, which is, which is crazy. I want you to, like, these are people that are, that are doing all sorts of wicked things. They're, they're, they're using the church as a popularity contest. They're using the church to get their own, like, social you know, status raised up. They're, they're, they're getting drunk on communion, right? They're, they're sleeping with each other. They're doing all kinds of crazy things. They're arguing over the resurrection, that it doesn't exist, that it doesn't matter, like, all sorts of crazy things. And Paul is off planning another church somewhere else, and he gets report from, like, from these other people saying, hey, sorry to be you know, bringing you bad news, but Church of Corinth's not doing real great. So Paul says, all right, I'm going to write him a letter. Like, I still care about him. And this is one of at least three, probably four letters that Paul wrote to this church. And it's, not, it's actually the second letter that Paul wrote to the church. And I know it's called 1 Corinthians, and that's confusing. But the first one didn't make it into the canon of Scripture, Don't know why. I'm thinking he might have been kind of angry and he wasn't super inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't know. That's just my, right? I'm just guessing there. But he's going to reference it later in chapter 5. He's going to say, in my former letter, I said these things to you. This is one of four letters. And in each one, he's having to address issues with these people. Listen, I want you to think about from a humanly perspective, how long are you putting up with that? How long are you continuing to care about these people? Like, can you imagine how discouraged, like, if you have kids, you know how discouraged you are when they just don't get it, right? And when you've had this conversation with them, and then they just go back and do it again. And that increases as they get older, and the, the degree of which their disobedience matters escalates, right? And when they just don't get it, and they come back to it, like, our, our heart breaks, and you get, you get tired of having those same conversations. And Paul, I, I got to think, like, I know what it's like to, to you know, have a, a burden of, of just one church, just one church and it can be it can be discouraging at times super encouraging a lot of other times but but listen i want you to think from your humanly perspective how long are you putting up with this like if i'm paul i'm going to be like fine i wrote you once i wrote you again you're not listening i'm going to like if i was paul i'm going to go back to the church at philippi they seem to be the people who had the least amount of issues and if i am him i'm just going to hang out with these guys they've blessed me they've encouraged me like I need to go there for a season, but no, Paul keeps laboring with these people, and he keeps loving these people, and even this greeting, he's giving thanks to God always for them. Why? Because of the grace that was given to them in Christ Jesus. He's saying, yes, you guys are jacked up people, and you got a lot of things wrong, but you are still the people of God. Why? Because you were awesome? No, 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 because Jesus was. Because Jesus is awesome, and he's given you grace. And so even in the midst of a jacked up people, that's why we start every service here at The Journey reminding ourselves, we ain't got it all together. We're a bunch of broken people who need Jesus. And, and that was true here, too. And Paul is just remembering that, and to the point that he's thanking God for them, saying, I'm just grateful for y'all. I'm grateful for you. Even though you're, you're, you're giving me a headache, I'm, I'm grateful for you. But I want you to think about beyond... Paul's perspective, what you think about God's perspective here. Like that this is this is what he has been building toward all throughout the Old Testament. And we talked about in the series Kingdom Come, like it was this moment for Jesus to make a way for his people to be reconciled to God. And once they were reconciled to God, they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, living in them, empowered, given new hearts, the law of God written on their heart as we've been talking about. And now this this is it. Like go live in the new covenant. And it's not just like a flipping of a switch, and these people are living out holy lives. No, no. It's it's a process. It's a process. And Corinth was a jack was was a crazy town. It was a town in the center of, of, a, of a trade route. And oftentimes as you know, in the ancient world, like that becomes a center for all sorts of crazy diversity and sexual immorality and um, different religions, and, and it's a very um, influential city, which is part of the reason Paul goes there. He knows that if he can plant a church there, that the influence will, will go out. But but it's still, it's really, really hard to, like, got a group of people that he helped, you know, baptize and, and work in the church. But here's the deal. Like, if you want the church to grow, you're going to keep reaching more jacked up people, right? And when you get more people that have come in, you got more problems. And so it's this ongoing thing. That as the church grows, there's more and more issues, and you got to keep up with that. But that's the, that's the call of the pastor here. That's the, the call of God on Paul's life. And, and the reason that God called Paul in such a way is he knew that it would take grit. He knew that it would take perseverance to, to do this work. While he's trying to labor, and he's probably getting beaten and, and stoned and arrested in another town, and he's hearing about these issues, instead of getting ang- Like, I would be angry. Right, like if if I got one kid over here that I'm disciplining and trying to help, or maybe they've got hurt or whatever, and I'm trying to get them. And I got another kid coming in here, like kicking their sister. I'm angry in that moment because I'm just trying to help this kid who's bleeding. Right, like can't you see that and stop doing that, please? So, right. So I often turn around from that, and I'm quite angry at the one who is inconsiderate of what I'm trying to do here with the other. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's doing. He's trying to plan another church, and he's here and hey hey Corinth. <laughs> So and so is doing this. Uh, they're having these popular. They're about to split the church. They're you know, all these issues. But what, how does he respond? He responds with like with incredible love. Paul and Paul spent more time here than anywhere else except Ephesus. He spent a year and a half here with these people. That's a long time for Paul. He would usually blow in for a few months, plant the church, appoint some leaders, and then go on to the next place. He spent a year and a half with these people. He loves them dearly. He knows them intimately. And he cares about them, and but but here's what he points to. It's not, hey, I'm going to get you through this. I'm going to drag you through this. The reason Paul is still committed to them is because he knows that God is still committed to them. He says this, grateful for what God has done, and we're going to talk about the ways they're enriched in speech and knowledge. We'll talk about that in, in future weeks, um, but. Verse 7, so that you're not lacking any gift as you wait on the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's sort of saying, I know they got a big deal with gifts here, and we'll see that in later chapters. But he's saying, I know you're excited about that stuff, but you have to know that like the, the, the big idea is that this is all about Jesus. He's saying Jesus, in some form, lots and lots, I think nine or ten times in nine verses here, he's all about Jesus. So he's saying, hey, I know you're excited about your gifts, but all of that is like, like it's, a, it's a portion that's sustaining you until the coming of Jesus Christ. But he says this in verse 9. Or verse eight, "Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless. guiltless. Now listen, if we're looking at them, we're going to find plenty of guilt, but it, he's able to say that they are people who will be guiltless. Why? Because they got it figured out or they're going to figure it out. Paul, No, no no. Because Jesus. Because Jesus, some of you are here today, and you know you're acutely aware of your guilt. Maybe no one else is. Maybe you've hidden it really well. And you feel like that you need to get that under control. And once you get that under control, then you can start living a godly life or a Christian life. And and here's the, the, the good news of the gospel is that it starts with bad news and that you'll never get that under control. You'll never figure that out. You can never do enough, be enough, live well enough to get rid of your guilt. But the glory of the cross is that Jesus came, to take on all of our sin. All of it. What you've told people about, what you haven't told people about. And that if we'll come and and throw ourselves at his mercy, say, "I'm I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are that savior. That in that moment, he takes all of our sin and he carries it away from us. Never again to be condemned and judged by it. And in exchange, he doesn't just say, okay, here's your slate, wiped clean. Go see if you can do better this time. No, no, no. In exchange, he gives us his righteousness. He was the only one who lived a life that was perfect, and he gives it to us. So we are declared guiltless and righteous because of what Jesus has done. No matter how jacked up the church is, that is a true statement. For those who have called on the name of the Lord, your guilt has been removed. Your sins are no more. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son. God is faithful. This church that has plenty of issues, Paul knows that it's going to make it. Why? Because he's a really good leader and he's read lots of Simon Sinek and all the laws of leadership and all of those things. No, no, no. Because God is faithful. and God said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Paul says, "Yeah, we got issues. We got stuff to work on, but God's faithful, and He's going to sustain you. And listen, if that's how God treats the church, instead of just crumbling it up and you know throwing away and starting fresh, which seems like it would be a lot easier sometimes, right? No, no, He stays with us. He sustains us. Those of you who've been around the journey for a long time, you know this is true, right? We've seen ups and downs, and on paper, no organization is going to last through some of the stuff we've went through, but..." We don't exist on paper. We exist in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what has sustained us, and that's what will sustain us. That's what's going to sustain the mission of God well beyond the days of the journey. His church, though, the church of God, that's not going anywhere. So if you're looking for a perfect church, that one's in heaven. Okay? If you're looking for a people of God, United by the Gospel and the Gospel only, man that's what we're trying to do here. So I want to ask you as we close, how, how do you view the church? How do you approach the church? Are you coming as consumers? coming as a as people what you know what's this going to be for me and, and do I like it? or are we coming as the people of God who have a mission who've been called to a particular place, a particular time, to a particular mission? Are we coming that way? Sam Albury asked the question, are you praying regularly for your church? And he says the answer will will be very helpful in indicating whether we're coming as Christians or coming as consumers. So I don't want to do this to condemn you. I do this to invite you. I do this to, to remind myself of what God has called us here. It's not about our numbers. It's not about success. It's not about failure. It's about God and what he's doing. He's going to address a lot of stuff in the coming chapters that we're going to get to learn from and apply to our life. But before we go there, we have to understand that this is written to us. It's written to a community. It's written to a church. Church that has a mission, not because we came up with one, but because God had one. Right? I always like to say, like, God didn't, you know, make his church and then go, oh, they need something to do, so let me give them a mission statement. No, 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 God had a mission. He was going to reconcile a broken world to himself, so he made a church to accomplish His mission. We got our mission, ambassadors of Jesus Christ to tell others about him, to be in redemptive relationships in our community. so that stories of brokenness can be written, rewritten to the glory of God. Is that our hope? Is that what we're striving for? Are we playing our role in that? Are we expecting God to speak to that and to hear what we have to do with that, or is it the other way around? Speaking, expecting God to speak to us, and we'll see if we do this church thing or not or if we go down the road. Let's, let's let this set on us and let examine our hearts. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that you are the sustainer of not only our lives individually and our salvation personally, but of your church. And my hope and prayer is that you would work in and amongst us this morning. Lift our eyes to the great Savior, help us to see that we're a part of a great mission. one that will celebrate and know fully how we were used when we get to glory, when we get to heaven to see what you have done. We'll be amazed at the part that you used the journey to do, the part that you, you did in our own lives, through our own lives. Help us with that, Jesus. Send your spirit, guide us. We, like the Corinthians, can get our attention focused on things that are secondary. So help us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.